This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Mercury, Saturn, Pontiac, and Hummer have been laid to rest. Joining the Edsel, the Chevy Vega, the Ford Pinto, and other brands in car heaven. Saab has been jettisoned by General Motors. Ford has sold Land Rover and Jaguar to India's Tata Motors, who plans to hire 7,000 workers. And the venerable Swedish automaker Volvo now has a German CEO and is owned by a Chinese carmaker called Geely. To be sure, a lot has changed in the worldwide auto business in the last couple of years. To discuss the outlook for 2011 and beyond, Knowledge at Wharton sat down with management professor John Paul McDuffie, who specializes in analyzing car companies. Uh, we're here today with uh, John Paul McDuffie of Wharton's management department and resident car guy to talk about the, uh, the uh, outlook for the auto business uh, this year and, and in the near term. John Paul, good to see you again. Thanks, Steve. Good to be here. Uh, we've, we've talked in the past about the, the ever-changing car business, and it's, uh, it's been, it continues to change. Uh, and so much has changed in recent months that uh, it might be a good idea to give our listeners and our, and our readers some idea of the landscape out out there right now, uh, the number of car companies that are considered majors. Uh, what would you say they would include? GM, Ford, and Chrysler here in the U.S., uh, Toyota, Nissan, Hyundai, uh, Volkswagen, maybe? Have I missed anybody? Uh, in uh, you left out Honda, Honda? certainly. Okay. And uh, it's important to recognize that some of the firms you named are tightly affiliated with other relatively large automakers, such as the Renault-Nissan alliance, uh, the fact that Fiat and Chrysler are, are tied up now. You know, we went through a whole change of terminology as the U.S. companies declined from Big Three to Detroit Three, and uh, now some people are using the term the Big Seven to include uh, the Japanese companies that have been producing uh, a lot in the U.S., uh, Toyota, Nissan, Honda, and, and now uh, Hyundai, the Korean, Korean company as well. Uh, Volkswagen is making a bid uh, to increase its sales greatly in the U.S., building an assembly plant here for the first time. And Volkswagen is already larger than a uh, number of those other firms worldwide. Uh, in fact, Vol Volkswagen has announced a goal to overtake Toyota as the number one car maker in the world, which is an ambitious goal and one that carries some peril. Well, we'll talk about uh, Volkswagen in a, in a few minutes specifically. Sure. Um, but let, let me ask you this. The, the, the auto show was held in Detroit uh, recently. Last week. And the news coming out of the auto show was, was excitement and, and promise and optimism about the, the turnaround in the auto business. Uh, very optimistic uh, uh, pr projections and predictions. Uh, yes. Do you buy into that or, or, or no? Um, sure. I mean, uh, the excitement was partly in relation to the last couple of years, which were dismal for the industry and pretty depressing at the auto show. Uh, so sales have been growing. There's still a long way from what was the historic trend of 14, 15, 16 million vehicles per year in the, in the U.S. market. Uh, 2010 was about 11 million and the predictions for 2011 range from 12 to 13 and a half. So still off that historic rate, but as a, as a percentage increase and given how low things dropped down to 9 million in, in 2009, it's, it's really a, a, a huge gain. 
So, you know, that's upside for all these companies that, uh, that pared down to deal with the, the bottom of the trough and probably particularly for the U.S. companies that came through uh, the restructuring of, of bankruptcy. General Motors, for example, uh, was – cost structure was uh, adjusted, you might say, through the bankruptcy procedures so that they would break even at about uh, 10 million vehicles a year. So now that the market – passes 11, goes to 12, goes to 13, that should offer them an awful lot of profit upside. Of course, they have to keep keep selling the vehicles. Well, do, uh, do you predict and do most analysts predict that, that all of the big companies that we've mentioned a few minutes ago will be profitable in, in 2011, do you think? I, I think there's, there's expectation of, of profitability for the industry uh, pretty widely. Uh, when you get to some of the smaller companies, that's that's less sure. There's still a big question mark hanging over uh, the Chrysler-Fiat tie-up, although uh, Sergio Marchioni, the CEO, is, uh, makes a lot of very bold pronouncements. But a lot of that's based on product line that is just being rolled out. Chrysler has stayed more dependent on big trucks and SUVs uh, for its sales than anything else. That The gas prices have stayed relatively low. Those sales have stayed relatively strong. But the whole logic of the Chrysler Fiat tie-up was to bring the Fiat small car lineup to the U.S. That hasn't happened yet. When that happens, that'll make them much more balanced and available to take advantage of what looks like a likely burst uh, boost in small car demand. Given everything that we've talked about so far, uh, and you've mentioned a few specifics of, of companies buying other companies, uh, it's my understanding that Jaguar and Land Rover are now owned by a Chinese Automakers, Indian, Indian, by Tata. 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 Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, and some other changes as well. Does that does that impact the the way that consumers view these various products? I mean, it used to be that you know X car was a German car, Y car, say a Volvo was a Swedish car, et cetera, et cetera. That that seems to be less true now than it's ever been. And will that affect the way these companies market their vehicles to to consumers? In some ways, the the issue will play out in the next few years uh, in terms of some of the most brand, uh, you know, the, the, the brands that are best known with a particular national association. So the Jaguar Land Rover Association with the UK now being handled by an Indian company is a particularly interesting one given the historical relationship between those countries. Sure. Uh, I think so far it may be too early to say exactly what what will happen. But uh, in general, consumers, I think, have gotten quite comfortable with the fact that these uh, vehicles are made in all sorts of different places. You can't actually tell from knowing the nationality of the company where the vehicle is made. And increasingly, that may be true more generally, that uh, you know the, the fact that Volvo is now owned by Geely, a, a Chinese company, uh, how heavily is that going to affect the perception of the Volvo brand? One issue that's being debated right now in that particular uh, relationship is whether to build Volvos in China to sell as export vehicles. They'll certainly build them in China to sell in China. Uh, but how much is the made in Sweden, made in Northern Europe uh, part of the Volvo brand? How many chances are they willing to take with that in terms of the location manufacturing? My guess is that consumers are so accustomed to this being a global world, both in terms of manufacturing and in terms of tie-ups among manufacturers, that it won't be a big issue. It's the product attributes that will that will count. 
uh, can you tell us uh, which of the, the big car companies, in your view, are the strongest and the weakest right now, their relative positions? Uh, well, so obviously for the U.S. companies, they have had this opportunity to, to come back. Ford is looking particularly strong. They have the advantage of not having taken any government money, so uh, strong opponents of the bailouts. Some of that probably still uh, shadows their view of GM and Chrysler, and Ford uh, does not have that disadvantage. Ford has also been uh, gaining a lot of quality uh, attention and praise for having high quality across their product line. Their brand awareness seems to be rising, and the positive perceptions of the Ford brand are now, uh, according to a recent Consumer Reports survey, very similar to the Toyota brand. You know, Toyota may be the big company that still uh, is showing the most uh, need to recover from the negatives of its quality and safety recalls. Toyota still ranks very high on most consumers' list in terms of uh, perceived quality. Uh, their sales uh, internationally are still quite strong, but I think they know that they've been hurt more severely in certain markets in terms of, of reputation. And as this market comes back, as overall demand comes back, they may have less opportunity to grab that, uh, that higher demand with all these stronger competitors. Uh, Volkswagen, as I mentioned, is making this uh, announce these very ambitious goals to be number one automaker in the world by 2018. Uh, given that some of Toyota's problems were seen as growing too rapidly in too short a time, potentially with the goal of overtaking GM as number one, I think there are definitely risks in that. Volkswagen has had a very small market share in the United States for a company with those kinds of global ambitions. They're building and opening their first plant in the U.S. soon. That has seemed to be an important step for most automakers to boost their market share in the U.S. is to increase that, that sense of, of investing locally. So, um, so I think there's some risks for Volkswagen. But Volkswagen has been a very global company for a long time, one of the earliest investors in China with a large market share there, one of the earliest investors in Brazil with a large market share there, and they know how to manage a global company. So does Volkswagen not have a plant in the U.S. right now? Is that There's a new plant opening in Chattanooga, Tennessee uh, this year. Okay, but so heretofore, at least in recent years, the cars have been imported. That's right. Into the U.S. That's market. correct. Okay. Some from Mexico. So they do, they do build certain products in, in Mexico, and, and those come into the U.S. Okay. Uh, those of us of a certain age will remember the Westmoreland, Pennsylvania plant, which produced Volkswagens uh, back in the 70s. Yes. Uh, and that w was – do you remember, was that shuttered for uh, – simply because it wasn't viable at the time or – that plant was closed after about five years, which is a very short life for an assembly plant, because of a combination of quality problems and labor problems, and, uh, and perhaps picking up some of the early years of the, of the recession that came at the end of the 70s and early 80s. Uh, I think it, it created an atmosphere in, in the early 80s in which people thought it was actually pretty hard to come to the U.S. and uh, successfully build a manufacturing plant. So that when the Japanese started to come starting in 82 with Honda, there was a lot of skepticism about whether they could be successful. I would assume also that Volkswagen may have felt a bit burned by the experience, and that's why they've been uh, the latest of the Germans to come to the U.S. BMW and Mercedes have both had plants in the U.S. for some time now. Sure. Now, any particular hurdles for VW vis-a-vis -vis the, uh, the American market uh, amongst consumers? 
Well, you know, they, they have seemed to do very well with certain aspects of their brand image. Uh, so uh, appealing products, fun to drive, European look and feel. Uh, their quality has not been very good. And uh, I think we see that consumers are actually quite sensitive to the quality ratings of vehicles, particularly when year in, year out, they see negative quality ratings. Uh, and that has largely been true for Volkswagen. Probably here, Hyundai is the best. Uh, Hyundai is the best indicator of how powerful it is to improve your quality. Because since Hyundai did that, their worldwide market share has been growing very rapidly, including in the U.S. Is there? Can you pinpoint the the, mo the most exciting car company right now worldwide, or or one or two that that in your view seem to uh, have already grabbed the attentions of consumers in a big way, or or are poised to do that? Um, is that well, a fair question? Yeah. Um, I guess I, I think that the fortunes of companies seem to seem to rise and fall. I mean, there's a lot of excitement around uh, GM and Ford these days because of the way that they've that they've come back and they have a lot of new products that are that are stirring a lot of of excitement. Um, I, I tend to look more at some of the exciting product trends and, and see which companies manage to succeed in getting out ahead of those and capturing some of the buzz from that. Okay. So I think one of the most interesting developments there is the coming you know, competition between hybrid electric vehicles, as in Toyota's Prius, and all electric vehicles, as now uh, best exemplified by Nissan's LEAF, but also by GM's uh, Chevy Volt, which is a slightly different, different design. Uh, Toyota has made a big bet on expanding the hybrid electric uh, design to more and more products. They're making Prius a brand instead of simply a model. And they believe that they can use that technology to produce uh, a wide variety of products, some of which are extremely fuel efficient and play to that niche, but some of which use that design to deliver best-in-class power and, and, and handling, for example. So Nissan, on the other hand, has, uh, feels that the hybrid was a, a transitional technology that won't be around for long, and they've made the leap straight to electric, and others will be watching that experience closely. So the all-electric vehicle, of course, depends on uh, recharging infrastructure, which a certain set of consumers will have no problems with. They can get their garages wired for that high-voltage line to recharge. But a whole other set of consumers will have problems with if they, if they uh, live in cities or in, in other ways don't have that infrastructure. So we're just going to start seeing how people experience uh, the continued growth in these two segments. The, the big issue with electric cars that really nobody knows about is uh, sometimes called range anxiety. So uh, will people buy an electric vehicle if they worry that for at least some small percentage of their trips, they may not be able to complete the trip because of the battery running out and not having a recharging opportunity? Um, obviously, as infrastructure proceeds, that range anxiety can decrease, but all the forces that will build the infrastructure investment are waiting to see if there's enough demand for the vehicles. So it's a chicken and egg problem. Uh, certainly the U.S. government is not in a position to put a lot of money into that kind of infrastructure right now. Certain European countries are a little further along, but it's uh, the, the general weak economies in many of these countries is going to prevent a lot of rapid movement on that. In, in terms of the electric cars uh, and, and range anxiety, which is a great term, uh, yeah. 
Uh, if, if one of our listeners this year went out and bought an electric car, yeah. um, what would he or she encounter as a practical matter every day? Would they have to, as you said, rewire uh, some one of the lines in their house to, 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 be, to have a certain level of voltage that would, that would charge the battery? And yes. then, and then when they get out, if they if they have the anxiety and they realize they're running out of power, today there's no place for them to go, is there? I mean, service stations aren't equipped for these vehicles, or are they? I'm not. No, that's yeah. right. Uh, the the wiring that you would do in your home garage is simply a heavy duty line, similar to what you might use for certain appliances that need a lot of electricity. Probably a 220. Yeah. Right. Okay. And. Uh, these vehicles can be recharged on a regular uh, electric current. It just takes a lot longer. So you can easily recharge overnight with uh, the higher voltage line, but uh, you'd need more time. So if you did get stuck and you could get to any place where you could run an extension cord <laughs> and you could wait around for a while, uh, but you can already see why this is a, a difficult set of set of conditions. Yeah, so, so those consumers would be um, uh, kind of equivalent to the people who bought I don't know, PCs or Macs or something years ago when they were maybe, what do they call them, first? Uh, first, first adopters, first yeah, adopter, early adopters. Early adopters. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so is that, a, is that a real big stumbling block to selling these vehicles, do you think? Or are there going to be enough consumers who are willing to take a chance, buy an electric car for environmental reasons, et cetera, and uh, make it their second car? Perhaps? Sure. So, you know, there's a lot of unknowns. The... For a lot of people, having an electric as a second car, which they would only use in local commuting uh, needs, you know, means they're protected if they need a, a vehicle for a longer, a longer trip, and they should be fine, particularly if they've got easy recharging. They might be turned off by the price, which is going to be rather high for a while. So they might need a commitment to, you know, the environmental contribution that would take them past those price considerations. Prices will come down, partly related to volume, but it's another chicken and egg issue there. Sure. And do you think that, uh, Nissan, that's who, which has made the bet on an all-electric vehicle, has, is that the right bet to make, in your view, vis-a-vis -vis the hybrid? Well, it's a, it's a question that differs from company to company. So uh, Toyota was first with the hybrid electric design, and Honda was second. Uh, Nissan CEO Carlos Ghosn said very clearly, there's not a lot of value in us following to be third or fourth in the market with uh, a hybrid vehicle because the cost of developing the technology are so great. I believe that they did license uh, a hybrid design from either Toyota or Honda in order to have at least something in their showrooms for a little while, but they made a strategic decision a few years back that the differentiating move for them would be to go uh, right away to all electric and get it into the market sooner than, than anyone else. So I think that probably is a smart strategic move for them because there's so much uncertainty about what, what will happen. Also makes sense for Toyota to build on its existing investment in, in hybrid and in branding it with the Prius name uh, to build on that by having Prius become a brand and populating it with a lot more vehicles. And, and I think Toyota recently announced it's going to produce a, a station wagon. Yes. With the Prius brand. Is that, that's its first foray into another yes. type of vehicle. Well, and they also plan to have a, a, a much smaller version. So they're, they're actually going to plan to expand it across the range. The, the whole area of small car, uh, the whole small car segment is really going to heat up and be a very interesting one to watch in terms of competition. So the Japanese and Koreans have traditionally been strong there. Uh, Hyundai and Kia with improving quality now contend much more with the Japanese. But the U.S. companies, for the first time in 
decades, and, and you might say ever, now have serious contending vehicles in that space. And some of the traditional associations we have with small cars are starting to break down. So there's a, a luxury compact category, which some European makers have tried to uh, put out products in that category in the past with modest success in Europe and almost no success in the US. Uh, but Lexus and BMW both have announced electric compact, uh, Buick. And so, you know, these will be priced uh, higher than you would expect to pay for a small car, but they'll be loaded with all sorts of extra features and, 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 and luxury appointments. So, Will we see more and more uh, vehicles uh, equipped with uh, neat gizmos, uh, use a scientific term, yeah. Uh, inside the car. Ford has its sync yes. uh, application right now where you can get wireless and talk to your car, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, talk about that for a little bit. What are we likely to see in vehicles going forward in that regard, and how will companies try to differentiate themselves, if they can, uh, with that technology? Yeah, well, well, January each year is always a, a, a good time to focus on that topic because between the auto show and the consumer electronics show, a, a lot of new stuff is being put out there by various companies. Uh, it does look like the collaborations between auto companies and IT companies is uh, producing more uh, more new developments, more uh, more fruit, if you will, in in terms of new features. I think those industries are so different; they've operated at such different clock speeds uh, that those relationships haven't always been so so easy. But uh, Ford and Microsoft developing Sync uh, were one of the, the, the early ones to start introducing a, a lot of features, and we start now seeing that uh, much more widely. You know, a few of the things that were announced at the Auto Show last week include a lot more ability to control certain vehicle features from your mobile device, you know, such as unlocking or flashing the headlights to identify it, or uh, there's uh, going to be docking stations for tablets where the tablet may provide... Uh, you know, a, a sort of replacement and perhaps uh, better better designed and easier to access, uh, you know, touch interface for all the vehicle controls, whether it's uh, audio or video or navigation or even heating and, and cooling kinds of controls. There's features that can, you know, let you create a little Wi-Fi hotspot for the passengers in, in the car. Uh, so we'll see a lot more of this. It'll be trial and error. We'll see which catch on with consumers. Uh, regulators will be watching to see which of these uh, have high peril in terms of distracting drivers. Uh, I don't ex expect a lot of regulation there, but even cautionary studies will perhaps discourage uh, consumers from pursuing some of these options. Uh, but that's going to – that besides the drivetrain uh, innovations, the IT innovations in the vehicle are part of what make this a very uh, exciting time. Uh, and it is indeed. Uh, however, uh, we're although I think we're officially out of the recession, yes. uh, the economy is, is still not where it ought to be. And many, many people have lost their jobs and either can't find them or have taken part-time positions, et cetera, et cetera. That's all pretty well known. Yes. Um, those buyers may not be able to afford new vehicles. And although many of the vehicles on the road now have, have been on the road a long time, which would seem to make car makers happy because that it's about time for those owners to, to trade up and, and get a new vehicle. Yeah. What about the economic um, outlook uh, for the U.S. And, and Western Europe and other parts of the world? Uh, is that going to inhibit in a serious way 
uh, new car sales and maybe damper some of the excitement that we saw at the auto show recently? Well, the the developing country markets are still the ones that look to be high growth. And it's not only because they came out of the recession more quickly, but because they have a growing number of consumers who reach that level of income where they can buy a vehicle for the first time. So an awful lot of the focus on growth in sales is still going to be in those developing markets. And everybody is cautious about how the lingering effects of the recession will, will affect car sales. As you, as you noted, the uh, things fell so far, people have put off purchases for now long enough that that alone should keep uh, sales reaching this modest 12, 13 uh, million level. The, the bet on having a lot more small cars and the intensified competition there is, I think, partly in anticipation that gas prices may go up again, uh, giving a boost to that segment, but also that uh, people are, uh, you know, those price tags are still smaller for the most part. This luxury compact is a, still a very small uh, niche. Uh, so people who need to uh, sp- spend less you know, may turn to to some of those vehicles, uh, particularly with some of the new features. You know, the the in the U.S. the 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 assumption that people want always a bigger car has been a very successful one in the U.S. market, and a lot of past efforts to get more people into small cars have 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 not worked. People have chosen SUVs and and trucks, uh, even with the gas mileage disadvantages. So, uh, so we'll see. It could be something about how people think about gas prices in the future, sort of anticipating that they will be higher. It could have to do with simply the reaction to some of these new small car products uh, satisfying more of what they're, what they're looking for. Uh, but you're right. There's a big question mark that hangs over uh, for you know, this obviously second largest uh, purchase that a uh, person makes in their life after a home. Uh, general economic conditions have a huge effect. Sure. And, and finally, uh, to put you on the spot, which we uh, like to do sometimes, uh, yeah. if, if you had to buy a car now, uh, what would it be? Or what would you look at? I'll make it a little easier. What, what, what vehicle or vehicles would you look at? Well, I've, I've started to read some of these accounts of uh, people who've been able to take one of these electric vehicles, uh, anything from the Nissan Leaf to the Tesla Roadster at the high end. And just drive it for a while, trying to integrate it into their daily life and and get a feel for what these vehicles are like. So I'd say I'm probably itching more than anything to have that kind of opportunity. Uh, See see what it's like to actually uh, own one of these vehicles and, and drive it in all conditions and you know, what's, uh, what's exciting about it, what's ordinary about it, what uh, is unexpectedly frustrating or, uh, or increases, you know, certain anxieties about, about getting places. Uh, yeah. that's, that's what I'd like to do. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll leave it at that. Uh, we, we can't pin you down to a specific brand or two, but that's good enough. John Paul McDuffie of the Wharton School's Management Department. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.